Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thank you for joining me. Today, we're joined by an old hand of the Australian media industry. Ian Sins started his career as a media buyer at J. Walter Thompson, where he worked on blue chip clients such as Kellogg's and Unilever, before going on to work at Australia's first strategy-only media agency, the Media Palace. In 2001, Ian joined with the principals of the Media Palace to create a new joint venture, Bellamy Hayden. Ian worked there for six years and went on to become Australia's uh, most successful agency when he rose to the level of general manager. He then went on to join Match Blue 449 in 2007 as chief strategy officer and partner, and later at the agency Atomic 212. He held the position of managing director, heading up the integrated media offering. He is still in the media agency business today where he works as the chief strategy officer of OMD Australia. And he joins me on the line now. Ian, thanks very much for joining us on GovComs. Well, thank you, David. You make me sound about 82 without introduction. <laughs> um. Well, I was only reflecting as uh, earlier today as I was thinking about our conversation and really... I'm not sure there could be a career that has seen such change. When you go back to those days as a as a young media buyer 21 years ago, and you think of the change that technology's had, you know the you know the invasion of the platforms, the collapse of the traditional media businesses, the introduction of programmatic, um, you know the impact on free to air television. It is such a vastly different landscape. So how when you think about that change, what what first comes what thought first comes to mind? Well it's funny you say that. The first thing that comes to mind if you want to sort of plot progress is uh, my first career and I won't mention names here, but um, one of the media directors was still able to smoke in an office. That's how long ago that was. <laughs> Um, and I, I think also even actually going into the uh, the media palace days, uh, we would be printing the old acetate, um, you know, slides for an overhead projector. And rather than uh, getting dongles for uh, whatever bit of technology we've got these days, we were just uh, ringing ahead to see if we'd have access to an overhead projector. So um, not least just the, the technology you present, but look, clearly uh, digital has, has, has been the thing. So, I mean, you make the point, uh, the collapse of major uh, media and I think the old quote that um, you know rumours of their death have been greatly exaggerated. They're, they're still around, but clearly they've looked to adapt. And uh, I think it's one of those things where someone said almost the word, the word digital just becomes redundant because I think most media, uh, if not nearly all, uh, have somehow digitised or really sort of taken um, that under their wing and looking to really extend out. And I think we'll probably get onto it later, but COVID has clearly accelerated the need for that, not only with media but actually clients uh, that have maybe. Being dragged, maybe a little bit kicking and screaming, like very clearly now, uh, really on their toes and looking to progress that very quickly. Yeah, I'm fascinated by that. And I really want to dig into that um, a lot. But thinking back to those early days and and the lessons that you learned as a young media buyer, what stays with you and what is relevant today that was relevant back then? 
God, I think I think speed, speed still. And again, I'll go back to that, that job, my very first job at J. Walter Thompson. I was told, um, and I actually got in there thinking I was a frustrated creative, really. I, I went into J. Walter Thompson thinking, you know, media was the easiest thing to get into. And every chance I got, I was down there two, two floors below, hanging out with the, the cool creatives there, hoping I'd uh, <laughs> make my break. Um, but what I clearly found out is um, I'm no creative, but... I'm sort of, well, I had a degree of creativity, I think. And media back then really wasn't creative. I think we, it used to be, as you know, called numbers in boxes, the old Excel spreadsheet. And I think that's one of the big things I draw out. Media has got a hell of a lot more creative uh, as the decades have rolled on. But um, yeah, the one thing that sticks with me is speed. And I remember them saying, look, if you do any, if you're any good, you might sort of be buying regional TV in, in six months' time. Maybe in a year, you'll be buying Metro TV. Um, and lo and behold, the industry just had such a churn then. You know, it's still a bit of an issue today. But I think I was buying Metro TV for uh, Kellogg's or Unilever pretty much uh, eight weeks in. So speed has not changed. But I think the things at which uh, new people come in the industry, uh, and whether that be digital, um, it is very much still a fast-paced uh, um, category. And, and what sort of insights, even back then, when you were talking to clients, what sort of things were you talking to them about that they needed to understand from a, a media buying perspective? Yeah, look, it was very different. In, in a way, it was it was kind of basic back then. I mean, you, we were an industry that's sort of often overwhelmed with acronyms. And, you know, we, thinking back now, we, we had not so many. You had pretty much TV, you had magazines, you had radio, cinema, and uh, press, newspapers. Uh, so apologies if I'm forgetting anyone there. But um, the, when you were talking to a client from the media agency or the media component, and I point out then this unbundling also happened throughout that period in that J. Walter Thompson was what you'd call a full service uh, agency in that it had the creative and the media in-house. Um, I think, as I said back then, the, the media boys and girls were kind of seen as sort of more back of house. You were kind of brought out. You might have been talked about how's TV performing, what shows are the, the top shows, um, you know, Wise Magazine and this this publication or this particular press title gone up or down. It was kind of, again, looking back now, possibly wasn't then, but it was rather quite basic. And I think uh, I think the client's eye and direction then was around more scale and cost and give me cheap, but then quite quickly diverted to uh, give me the creative product. So not underplaying the creative product is clearly still very important today, but I think the media, the insights that we're getting in, and, you know, the tools that we're using and, and back then, um, you know, they were kind of bog standard. I think there's so much insight to be having from what we would call media owners now. They tend to know their audience and customers a lot better, first-party data, uh, the, the surveys they're doing. Back then, I think that the, the balance was more with the, the media agency. So as we've gone on, I think the, the media owners themselves have become a lot more empowered as they've gone through forward as well. So in terms of this journey that you've been on, do you sort of look at a – the pivotal time, the moment that the business started to shape uh, or change in terms of this digital transformation, and and when was it, and what was the the either the key technology or platform or moment that the business started to really shake and move in a different direction? Yeah, look for me, it was there's sort of two moments. I think the first one was um, I won't mention client names, but look, one, one big client had left and uh, gone to a, a different agency and I'd sort of been approached to follow the, the client at that agency. And I was very lucky at the time I had a mentor that had mentioned my name and sort of said, look, um, you know, this, this young guy, he'd like to get into planning or strategy, uh, which back then I said the media world was kind of around uh, bulk and volume and, and, and rates. 
And it was starting to split a little bit to kind of going, no, I want to plan. I want to get more into the insights, leave the trading to the traders, very important part. But there were people that wanted to plan. So I was very fortunate enough to be given the tap. And this was the move from, I guess, Jay Walter Thompson over to uh, what was then the Media Palace. And I say Media Palace then because um, you, you might remember that this was about, uh, you know, 2000. Uh, where the Creative Palace was was pretty much at the top of the creative game in Australia. They got a lot of famous ads, award-winning ads. So I went over to the Media Palace, which was the media arm of uh, the Campaign Palace, uh, but it was a very different offering. There was no trading at that at the Media Palace. They were very much strategy only. So there was very much, to me, that was the first uh, fork in the road of sort of saying, look, there's efficient and there's effective. Let's leave the efficiency to the, the, the trading teams at the time and the big buying houses back then. But in terms of effectiveness, we really wanted to get under the heart of that. So and I'll call them out. My, my mentors still to this day, I think, you know, Simon Bellamy and Phil Hayden, uh, the principles of, um, uh, well, then Bellamy Hayden followed on from the Media Palace, but were very much the first in Australia to get into this idea of media can be more than just rate and discount. And I'll go as far to say media can be sexy and, and creative. So, I'll come back full circle to the beginning where I kind of said, look, I was a frustrated creative, but having media planning and strategy to me fulfilled still my love of numbers and, and, and analysis, but it sort of let me spread the rings without being a full-fledged creative in a creative agency. You could really develop that creativity through media as well. And so what sort of skills were you working with in that team at Bellamy Hayden as you sort of reached into the strategic side of it to draw down on the insets, uh, insights? What sort of people were working around you to help you to, uh, to gather those insights? Yeah, well, they, well, they call them, um, I mean, if I can list it, they were called the PCC or they were part of the PCC, the uh, Pommy Curry Club. But I think you actually had a lot of Englishmen come out from the uh, UK advertising scene and had already started to develop this, you know, let's do the strategy. So again, I mentioned, uh, you know, the managing director and the head of planning, Simon Bellamy and Phil Hayden, then very much around uh, the consumer and actually just sort of saying, look, how do we, I think the, the ultimate thing, which creative agencies may even to a degree, fear it a bit today, but they shouldn't. Because I think the main principle was, how does media elevate the creative proposition or the creative principles in the work in media? How is that dramatized and brought to life? Uh, and that's very different to then going just uh, and negotiating with uh, media owners or publishers and saying, uh, this is what we want. Now I want to negotiate the cheapest price. So at that point, that was very different. It was really elevating the creativity. And, um, you know, and it comes down to, um, you know, I think back then, media agencies said back in 2000 wouldn't be doing focus groups, for example. That was very much the, the domain of the creative agencies, testing concepts, etc. So it was a, a different skill set versus just sort of looking at your, um, you know, your ratings of the TV show or, or what, what's the circ of uh, certain, you know, publishers back then, mags or newspapers as they were predominantly back then. It was a different kind of language that they were starting to instill in the, the staff there. Was the success down to this you know consumer focus or you know in the public sector we'd talk about it as a a citizen focus because that's obviously now what people talk about you know this whole notion of experiences uh this whole notion of empathy and and seeing the world through the eyes of the customer or the citizen was that the the core of the success there at bellamy Hayden? um Look, I think it was. I think it was also, again, I use the word creativity. I think they were willing to try new things. And uh, and I used digital as an example then because I remember the time, and um, I still remember the chap's name, but we um, brought him on as sort of the first digital uh, 
employee really and, and it was way back in its infancy you know where really it was all about i guess the banner ad back then and even then we were just starting to try and bring uh, you know our, our clients on the journey of, of this is going to be important we didn't know when look back how big it was going to get clearly but something was going on and if anything there was a bit of a false start and i may get the name wrong but it was a bit of a dot dot com dot com dot gone dot, dot bust I think most media agencies probably, if they're listening to this, will go, yeah, we remember very quickly we all had about five or six dot-com clients and it never quite took off. But at the same time, we were learning all the time and we were always trying to get this idea of even if it was 5% of a client's budget, let's test it. Let's see how this is going to work. So I guess it was the start. And then again, as it developed and, and the measurement and obviously we moved from you know banner ads to the, the world it is today with so many different facets. Um, but that was the start. I think it was a curiosity and, and doing things differently at the time uh, that no other media agency was doing. Okay, so let's fast forward to today. Um, give me, can you give me an insight into a, a typical sort of a day for Ian Sens as the, the strategy director there at, at OMD? What, what, what decisions are you making um, who are you talking to and and what's happening in, in your work life? Yeah, well, the typical day would be look at the calendar and then realise it's going to pan out nothing like that by the time you get to the end <laughs> of the day. But I'm not sure that's unique. I think a lot of people, particularly in those times, um, look, there's, there's the role and it's interesting. It's, um, you know, I've been a year in there and I think my role is, is national um, uh, chief strategy officer, which means we, uh, you know, have visibility and oversight on, on Sydney, uh, Melbourne and Brisbane as well. So it's, it can be any one thing, but generally it's obviously touching base with the uh, your state-based strategy teams. Um, but also as part of the um, you know executive leadership team, it's it's broader focusing. So oh, look, it can be anything. It can be whatever's news that has to be handled. There might be a crisis, for example, on something on coals, or even God forbid, we're um, in certain media where certain uh, personalities are saying things they shouldn't do. So it can be reactive, but but by and large, it is planning and strategy, and we are trying to look a little bit more future-focused. So I think COVID's been a great time, and I'm sure we'll get on it a little bit. But, um, you know, because everything changed, everything shifted, everything that was planned months out, nearly every client, every single plan had to be replanned at a, a logistical type of level. And that's just trying to capture things around the, you know, is TV going out, broadcast video on demand, that's gone up, well, what's gone down? Cinema can't be used anymore during this lockdown. So there was a lot of logistics going on uh, for clients and the teams were very busy at what I'm calling the planning level um, versus the strategy. But on the other hand, and I think what, you know, I think we've all enjoyed actually is that the strategy at a time where you could have clients being more conservative than ever and understandably so, should I be spending more? Should I be changing the channels? We actually put our foot down on the, um, the creativity angle and kind of said, you, you've, you've you could argue it's actually when you've got to be most creative. And I think clients were very receptive of going, we know things need to change. And back to your point earlier on, um, you know, what was it different at Media Palace or Bellamy Hayden? It was insights. And COVID, if nothing else, was spitting up new insights, new ways people were consuming media, new categories they were getting more involved in and others were getting less. So um, what's my current day? It's, you know, that, that's kind of what it is, I think, jockeying around from, from one thing to the next. But overall, I think I've come back to that creativity. We're still looking to plan it out, and clearly we're not out of the woods yet with COVID. No, indeed. But in terms of the service and the value that, that you and your teams create, how would you describe the value that you bring to 
uh, a brand or a government agency or a public sector organisation? Where, where is the value that you create and the impact that you have? Well, look, it all, it all comes down to results. And I mean, look, it's, it's one thing to kind of go, we can, and what metric you're going to, to measure there, I think. Um, so look, in different parts of the business, and they all sort of have to work together. Um, of course they do. Certain uh, areas, say the, the buying and the trading team will be, be very geared around ensuring we're getting the best rate. Uh, the digital guys will be making sure it's the right channel, and that's such a, a real-time channel that we're monitoring that. You know, I was going to say on a day-by-day, it's probably even uh, more um, time restrained than that. So that's one way to look at it. We, we need to absolutely ensure we're delivering a great media service and a media product. But I think more holistically, and again, specifically in these times, what we're really looking to do is just add value at a business level. Um, you know, and I think that's when you're talking about strategy. Um, and, you know, I'm not trying to say any other part of the business isn't thinking about the client and the business, but you need to sort of, I guess, take a bit more of a 20,000 feet view above of going, is it the right business objective we're answering? You know, we might we might tick all the boxes on all the media objectives if we wanted to deliver A and we deliver that, but that's a media objective. Has that been effective and paying back to the business effect and the business objective? So, Really, that's what we look to do, I think, for clients and particularly at the strategy team of, of understanding what's the right challenge to be solved, where do we play? Uh, so that's the benefit I think we add. And then everything you know, throughout the process, whether that becomes the, the channel planning or the go-to-market and the trading, that has to sort of deliver back and pay back to that, that top-line goal. So if I can keep you up at 20,000 feet as you look down on the media industry, what do you see? Oh, well, change, always change. Um, if you're asking me what I'm seeing now um, versus even you know seven months ago, um, it's changed. And I think it's changed, I think, forever now with COVID and actually I'd argue for better. So I'll, I'll pull out one thing. There was a lovely quote I heard. It was, um, you know, even the Cannes Advertising Festival uh, this year for the first time didn't go ahead uh, and they ran an abridged, uh, version of it. I think it was over a week where basically they had some of the key speakers lined up still delivering little um, you know, digital uh, bits to camera. But one of the lovely lines was uh, what we saw in an eight-week period, particularly as COVID first rolled out, over eight weeks, um, they'd sort of hypothesized that we've seen 10 years of digital acceleration. Um, so it's, it's, it's really worth pausing on that. And again, I've used this one before and I picked this one up from Paul Clitheroe. Uh, who way, way back in the GFC sort of talked about, you know, people that were, were you know, in debt up to their eyeballs. And he, the quote he used was, you don't know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. So that, that, was, that was reflective of the GSC and debt. You know, if you can remember, interest rates went up to sort of 17, 18% for a while. So, you know, you're in real trouble if you had big loans there. But in this case, if I bring it back to today's times, I think what it's done is make a lot of clients realize this whole idea of, if I use the expression, digital transformation going, yeah, yeah, we know it's important. We know we'll get there. Yeah, we, we, we kind of, we can take our time with it. And I think when COVID hit and things had to be done a lot more digitally and in isolation and from home, I think that really, uh, you know, the, the chickens really came home to roost on that one. So that, and I think as we're slowly and hopefully seeing the other side of the you know, second wave, um, people will really have kind of gone, right, we, we can't afford to delay anymore if we have. Uh, and then I think the, some of the clients that are, will be the real winners are the ones that had already got their skates on before and, and already been well progressed on that journey. 
So in terms of, of that digital transformation as it relates to the media industry, what are the changes that organisations need to make, such as government organisations, public sector organisations? What do they have to do to be more effective in this changed world? Yeah, well, I think it's, um, you know, we've, we've worked with, uh, you know, uh, government agencies in the past, and we, we, we work with some currently at OMD. Um, but I think the same principles kind of apply in that speed, uh, transparency, and, and agility. Um, and again, I know government uh, has a lot more levels and, and, you know, hoops to get through at times, but I think they're, they're the three sort of things they still need to be to be looking at. Um, and I think maybe in the private enterprise, they can get those things, not always, uh, but, but done a lot quicker as well. But I'd say they're the three things you need to be looking at. Um, you know, if anything, I think the learning we've had, well, certainly at OMD, and I think most agencies, to be fair, um, the learning's come back the other way. I think this idea of uh, transparency as well is the way we've communicated uh, to staff, because I think even beyond clients, I think, you know, agencies have really had to make sure the mental health of their staff have been looked after as well. But, you know, I do I do applaud, you know, the governments. I think they've done an amazing job of being transparent, you know, the the, the daily updates. Um, so I kind of go that kind of thinking as it relates to, I guess, a politician talking to their um, their electorate uh, probably still has to be brought through into the communication, at, uh, you know, below that top level as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think, you know, speed, I think people can get and that has happened and decisions had to be made quickly because it was a crisis and speed you know how do you maintain speed in the system is obviously a you know a a point of consideration for the leadership in public services not just in Australia but but around the world Uh, transparency I'm really interested in that reflection that you have there about about transparency and again that's that challenge of transparency and not wanting to say too much or not wanting to, to to share or that's that sort of default position that needs to perhaps or has been, um, again, accelerated. And there's this now, I think, um, uh, desire to be more transparent where organisations can be. But this notion of agility and and movement, when you look at agility in this digital world, what are some of the uh, processes where you need to be more agile and your decision-making needs to be more agile? What are the things that you... You, you have to display that agility to in, or, in order to be effective in this new environment. Yeah, well, I, I, I'd actually even just challenge that one and go, look, I think digital, by and large, is, is quite agile. I mean, the way you can measure it. I mean, again, I go back to the early days. I go back to those 2000s for a moment. By the time you actually got your TV ratings in or, or God forbid, even at the end of a campaign, you got your uh, tracking results, you're kind of three, four months down the track. And I think arguably, even in a lot of government campaigns today, you know, they're about behavior change. And as we know, behavior change isn't a very fast thing or it's more often than not. Uh, and again, you still tend to get uh, tracking projects and research three, four months. And, you know, certain campaigns are going to be almost in perpetual motion. You're trying to, um, you know, change behaviors and they can be slow. Um, smoking cessation or, or, or quitting smoking, for example, is a great one. That, um, but more broadly, I think, at a broader business level, you have to adopt that and an approach of agility. Um, so again, I'll use Maccas as an example through this period um, of COVID, um, very quickly had to change ads. Well, what was going to be a, a point of disruption for a business such as McDonald's and food? It was about cleanliness. It was about contactless. Uh, so quite quickly, they uh, you know changed their, their messaging almost you know within a couple of days to kind of that is the kind of 
comfort uh, and safety that we wanted to get to their customers. Um, so it changed the whole creative that was even sort of in market at the time. Again, you look at, um, well, I looked at Tesco. The first thing we actually did was look abroad because they tended to uh, get their skates on a bit quicker. Tesco overnight, you know, within almost their car park, if I remember rightly, did whole ads around, you know, one-way traffic in their in their aisles, in their supermarkets, how they were protecting the safety of their staff by putting in the, well, let me call them sneeze guards for want of a better term. So I think agility has to go back, not back to the business problem rather than just calling it a digital issue. Uh, but look, digital clearly is, is will become a part of that in, in terms of getting that message out. And, and potentially it's one of the fastest ways that you can activate. So there are, in terms of those cultural issues, the mindset issues around digital, about getting on top of it and, and being able to to move quickly, to be transparent, to be agile. But what are the important skills that you think are going to emerge in the in in this next uh, environment that people are really going to have to make sure that they're staying on top of, so as that they can create value and, and impact in this media buying area? Oh, that's a big question. There's so many parts to that. <laughs> um, well, in, in terms of the media buying, look, one of the things I think we, it, well, I'll use OMD as an example here. We, we're almost trying to, in a way, de-digitize, just calling someone a digital planner. We, you know, we're calling them like an interactive director, for example. Um, and I think that's just a, a, a way of acknowledging it has to be always broader than digital. So uh, I don't like to use the word generalist because I, I know that has sort of been a bit of a, you know, most agencies I've either had exposure to or worked at, worked at would love this idea of the generalist, someone that knows as much about, you know, I use air quotes here, traditional media, because, you know, arguably digital is a traditional media now, it is that mainstream. Um, but you, you do still need to acknowledge there is specialist skill sets. And so I think I think that is still going to be the way forward. You, you're not going to get this, this perfect hybrid or this perfect... Uh, uh, as I said, jack of all trades. And I think that's the importance, I'd argue, where a, a process or like an OMD that really from the top, starting with the strategy and, and understanding the business objective and looking to pull together the right people that will solve that problem. Um, so I think, you know, as we have digital natives now, you know, coming into the industry that they'll have known nothing else, uh, unlike myself, that has seen, you know, that change. Um, but it really is about orchestrating all the, all the different moving parts. And when you do look ahead, um, what do you see? I know you're going to tell me you can see change, but describe the change. Take me five years into the future and tell me what life is going to be like there at OMD and how, in fact, say in five years' time, you're going to be creating that impact and that value for, for someone like a McDonald's. Yeah, it's a um, look, it's a... Uh... It's a very quick time. I think my, my main answer in this is always going to be, it's going to be horses for courses for different clients. I think there's been a bit of an age old debate around, you know, should I have, should the creative agency and the media agency, should they be split? Should they come back together? Am I getting more of a unified approach? And I think, you know, it's a, sorry, I'm going to have splinters in my bum from sitting on the fence on this one, but it, it depends. It really does depend. But I think ultimately what we have seen, again, if I, we go right back to the start of this, media has certainly become a lot more creative over the past uh, you know, 15 to 20 years. And I would argue that almost the shift in power, and ultimately we're about understanding an audience. You know, the right audience at the right time at the right place, they're kind of the three moving parts. And this whole shift of 
you know, the, the big media players and particularly the, the digital ones understanding their own consumer, that power that they've got that there. So I think there's a much greater sense of collaboration. Uh, and I think that will still continue between agency partners um, and the media themselves. Uh, and I think, you know, I think both actually should and do by and large welcome that. So I think that's a change that's going to keep going. Uh, but again, there's always going to be a role for creativity. But I think the biggest change possibly with all of that is, and, you know, we're still there. When you look at it, by and large, there's still a lot of spots and dots type campaigns getting rolled out. And I think even most creatives would agree with this, that, you know, in today's world, what seems to be um, most entertaining is, is not generally, as much as they might be a, an ad campaign, not in your classic way. It's, it's different ways of showcasing content and bringing that to life. So almost in a way, it's the... Um, you know, some of the, the sexiest and maybe the most effective uh, are the ones that sort of break out of the classic commercial airtime boundaries of the, the classic ad break, for example. And so as a final question, what do you see as the future for the the different, say, traditional media players? Uh, we know and understand the power and the reach and the targeting capabilities of the big technology platforms, you know, the Facebooks, Googles, Twitters, etc. But what is the future for radio? What is the future for print? What is the future for free-to-air television? Moving and again, recognizing the 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 the, the threat and the power of the of the streaming um, services. So. Could you could you wrap up a bit of a view into the future as to how that media landscape changes and and where the investment goes? Well, yeah, that's a sixty four thousand dollar question, isn't it? Look, no doubt there's a lot more uh, diversification, and it used to be you know there's there's pretty much no no issue in, in getting eyeballs these days. It's pretty easy uh, in a way, but it's doing it's still acknowledging I think that these you know the the structures as they stand at the moment or as they have are still at this point the best way to get uh, at speed. Uh, you know, a large aggregation. And, and you know, you, you can't actually, I think when you still look at, you know, catch up TV, for example, um, or, or versus a, a live TV program or, or sport, um, there's still certain elements of these programs and wherever they are, whether they broadcast digitally, <laughs> excuse me, or on, um, on TV, that people want to get together as a community, watch those lives. So there's always going to be a place for them. But look, it will be eroded, the, the, the numbers clearly that used to be able to be gotten. So the challenge really becomes for the advertisers and agencies is to make sure you've still got that, I guess, narrative, the story you're trying to tell and get across for your client um, at scale, um, but at speed also. So look, I think partnerships, but the other thing I think a lot of the, the you know, you mentioned you, you brought up TV or radio, we, we still have an affinity with, you know, our, our favourite radio personalities, for example, our favourite editors or our favourite writers or our, our favourite broadcasters. So as I said, it's, um, you know, they used to say content is king. Uh, and, you know, that's what these guys still have and are able to produce. But, you know, I've always challenged that one. It's not content is king because there's so much content. It's, it's good content. That's what's king. And I think that still takes to a degree money to get that done. But, I mean, you look at the Netflix's example and even Amazon's and, you know, companies that started off as we, you know, I've been doing looking at a case study on Amazon recently as an online bookseller. Um, you know, has gone into the whole area of, of, of content creation themselves and clearly doing it very well. So it will certainly be a, a challenging environment moving forward. And, you know, the aim of the game will just still really be uh, often to entertain and provide good good content. 
And I think that's the challenge for any any media player, whether that be today and, and certainly into the next five years. You still sound pretty energetic about it all and optimistic and, and mixing it up in there with the young young folk. <laughs> there again, again, you're making me sound 62. I'm still on the happy side of 50 um, in, under that. But, uh, yeah, no, I am. I, and, again, if anything, I, I, I take a lot of hard comfort, um, you know, not least, and I will give a, a shout-out to our, our team down in Melbourne as well while we're on this because we know they're doing it tough and people are doing it tough. But at the same time, even those guys, you know, the Strat team in Melbourne, the, their level of enthusiasm and, and they've been really just buoyed by this this creativity as well because, as I said, new challenges, circumstances, environments are always throwing up new insights. Uh, and, you know, and any strategist worth their salt thrive on insights. And I go back and, you know, if this is the finish, we go back to that speed and agility. If you can harness that insight as it happens faster than your competitor and whether that be other agencies or if we're working for a client, their competitors, um, you're going to come out happy. And I think, you know, yeah, we should be enthusiastic about that. And if we get our clients great results, we're happy. And that's that's the end result for us in in, um, in agency land and at OMD. What a fantastic full stop to that interview, ladies and gentlemen. That is the key. Those insights, understanding, working with your technology people, working with your content people, working with your research and data people to uncover the insights. But then I think as Ian has clearly articulated, you've got to move. You can't stand still because the world is going to keep moving on. Ian Sens, thank you so much for spending a little bit of your time today. And yes, best of luck to your team down there in Melbourne. It is a dreadful time for our friends in Melbourne and uh, we, uh, our thoughts are with them. But thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you, David. And thank you, audience, for coming back once again. Some very big news. Content Group is hosting the very first GovComs Festival. It is a global festival. It is part of the OECD's Government Aftershock Conference. And so we will be hosting speakers from all around the world as we explore all sorts of different bits and pieces. Um, the European Commission's involved and we have Alex Aiken, the head of the UK Government Communication Service, one of the pioneers of innovation in government communication as one of our keynote speakers. So jump onto our website, www.contentgroup.com.au forward slash GovComs Festival. If you would like to be a speaker, let us know because we are trying to curate. My team says 12 hours. I'm saying 24. I want to follow the clock. I want to blow the doors off this. I want to hear from people all over the world. And we do have an audience around the world. My team brought me the insights the other day as to how many of you are listening around the world. So wherever you are in the world, if you would like to contribute to the very, very first GovComs Festival, which is part of the OECD Aftershock Conference, supported by the European Commission. And as I say, Alex Aiken is the first of the very big names that we're going to have. Uh, it, there's going to be all sorts of streams. Uh, that We're going to be looking at technology. We're going to be looking at measurement and evaluation. We're going to be looking at content creation and distribution, strategic planning, behavioral science. And another key focus of the program is going to be 24 hours of education provided by Griffith University, the social marketing team at Griffith University. And it all comes at the grand price tag of nothing. It's free. 
So jump online, get involved. It's going to be so much fun. 17th of November this year. Please jump online, register, get in contact with us wherever you are in the world. Bring your idea forward, whether it's a case study, whether it's a, a, a... I don't know, a session with some of your friends to discuss some of your issues, uh, whether it's a keynote, let us know. Whether it's a debate, it could be anything. We want to know your ideas and we want to get you involved. So GovComs Festival, uh, put that into the, the search engine and it will come up. A very big thank you to Ian Sens today to for coming onto the program. Wonderful insights, great experience, wonderful reminiscing. He says he's on the good side of 50. I am unfortunately on the other side of 50, uh, but I can reassure Ian it's not too bad once he does tip over to uh, uh, the, the, the higher side, should I say. So anyway, thanks again, audience, for coming along. I really enjoyed that conversation with Ian Sens, who is the Chief Strategy Officer at OMD Australia. Uh, But that's it for now for this week. But we will be back at the same time next week with another wonderful guest on GovComs. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.